0: All right, Boca Podcast listeners, thanks so much for joining us today. And I'm here with my new friend, Hope Taylor. Hope and I, I hope I don't think we've actually had the opportunity to meet in person before, have we?
1: No, I don't think so. We may have seen each other in passing at the United Conference, but I think that's about it.
0: For sure, right. And, and by the way, for those of you listening in, if you've not attended the United Conference, show it, United. Um, it is certainly one of my favorite that I've ever attended. I've been there multiple times over. It, it feels like going to summer camp. You make best friends, and you don't want to leave when it's done. It's it's really incredible. Um, just do a quick Google search, and you'll find that. In fact, we'll link to that information in our show notes as well. Uh, but I, I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm here with, as I said, my new friend Hope, and um, Hope is a wedding and senior photographer. And we're going to talk a little bit more about your business here in just a bit. But I want to get started with something that we normally do, which is called the aha moment. And very simply, this would be the biggest or hardest lesson that you've learned as a photography business owner so far.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I started my business at only 16 years old, which is something that we're going to talk a lot about later on. But when I started my business so young as a high school student, one of the toughest lessons I had to learn was that when you are taking a unique path or going in a direction that's different than the norm, you are going to come in contact with a lot of negativity and with a lot of backlash with that type of decision. So that season of life for me was definitely the hardest. And it's not necessarily relevant to only business, but just life in general that I had to stand really strong in my beliefs and kind of fearlessly pursue this dream that I wanted to chase despite all of the people telling me no, or attempting to discourage me. So that was easily one of the toughest things I've had to face. And I think we'll probably end up diving more into that later. But it was a tough season of life to be surrounded by high school students and teachers and authority figures who weren't necessarily encouraging or supportive of the idea.
0: And how did you deal with that? What was the, uh, what were the thought processes internally? How did you ultimately respond to that kind of criticism?
1: Yeah, so I uh, didn't deal with it as elegantly as I think people probably (laughs) think that I do, because at first it was just really tough. I um, I went to a public high school with students who had never really seen anything other than the typical path. So it was just kind of you, you know, you pursue a sport or you pursue education and you go to college and that's that. So I got a lot of who does this girl think she is type of backlash Uh from students at my school. And then I also got like, what do you think you're doing? Why do you think this is even possible from teachers and authority figures? So it was just a lot of different things happening at one time. But um, I don't really know if there was an elegant way that I faced it or handled it per se. But I just tried to stand really strong in my belief that we only live one life and this life is ours. And if we let those types of comments and negativity affect our decisions, ultimately, the only person that's affecting is ourselves, because we're not living out the life That we want to pursue and we're not chasing the dreams that we want to live. So I had to just stand really strong in that and stand strong in my faith. And even though I knew in my heart, this was what I wanted to pursue. I applied to seven universities and I committed to a college for business during my senior year. And so I, I guess I was in a way discouraged to take that, you know, original general path that everyone was taking because I kind of took that route at first and it took me all the way up until a month before I was supposed to leave for college that I revoked my admission and finally made the decision to stand up for myself and go full time with this dream
0: i'm I'm a huge fan I'm a huge fan of that that mentality of certainly just going for it, standing your ground, doing something that that is a bit outside the box you know it's it's easy for people, especially these days, to be so critical online of whatever it is that we're doing yeah and, and I know that you dealt with that on a variety of levels both online I'm sure but also even at your school from authority I mean it's it's always sad to hear that an authority figure rather than encouraging A younger person to pursue their dreams and their passion, that they're discouraging them in some way, or even being critical of them. I actually have a 16-year-old son myself. And one of the things that I've continued to try to push him to do is to capitalize on his strengths and pursue the things that he's interested in. And I make sure that he knows I've got his back. And I think that's so important. Speaking of, too, I I know that uh, you wrote a blog post about Um, or actually your mom actually guest wrote a blog post for you and talked about how she was able to support you. I'm sure that the support structure at home made a big difference during that time.
1: Oh, absolutely. My mom is my absolute best friend. She's such a rock star. And she actually made cakes out of our home when I was growing up in order to kind of pay bills on the side because my dad was in the military. So I had her as a role model in the entrepreneur world of seeing her kind of chase that and be just an awesome boss lady the whole time I was growing up. And so when I wanted to pursue this, my parents were both so supportive and so encouraging. And I received an email this week from actually the mom of one of my course students. And he is only 16, I believe. So she was asking me, from my perspective, how I was raised and how my parents were able to support me in a way that genuinely encouraged me and her words were um, how to not get in the way, which I thought was just such a sweet question, but I thought that I might not be the best person to answer that question. So uh, I sat down with my mom and asked if she'd be willing to give her input and she did that guest post for me. So they were just so encouraging and so supportive and they provided what she called a landing pad for me so that when I came home from school or came home from work, my house was just kind of my safe space where I knew that I could be be sad if I needed to be sad, or I could be excited if I wanted to be excited. And I just always knew that I was safe and comfortable here. And I don't know that if I hadn't had that type of home experience that I would have been able to do all the things that I did so young.
0: That's huge. Wow. Well, what we're going to do is make sure to link to that blog post um, in the show notes as well for this episode so that our listeners can go take a look at that and read that. I'm sure there's a lot of advice in there, whether or not our listeners have kids that are 16 or 15 or whatever the case or not. I'm sure there's a lot of helpful advice there and thought processes. I, I do love that question that she asked, how not to get in the way. And, you know, I mean, the biggest thing, at least I'm learning this from my end as a parent, I have, I have my son, Austin, is 16, my daughter, Addison, is 12. The biggest thing that I'm trying to make sure of or one of the most important things, ideas that I'm trying to communicate to my kids is that I've got their back. Even mm-hmm. if they have ideas that I, I'm questioning or maybe in some cases I don't necessarily agree with, I want to give them the freedom to learn to make choices for themselves and certainly to pursue their interests and their dreams but I want to make sure at the very least that they know I've got their back. And I think that's really important. Your mom is a beautiful example of that. So this is a really encouraging way to start us off. And and I appreciate you sharing that story. We'll certainly get into that a little bit more Later, But I want to get to know you personally, because I I don't know you very well. But I also want our listeners to get to know you a little bit, too. So let's talk a little bit about you. And I have to ask you, um, in fact, let me read a quote from your site. It's it's quite entertaining. You say, "Uh, I'm Hope Taylor, a chicken nugget loving, peony obsessed, travel addicted, 20 something located in Fredericksburg, Virginia. Oh, I'm a wedding photographer and educator, too. I love that. (laughs) But you got to tell me what what is the deal with the chicken nuggets?
1: Oh my goodness. So it's kind of a running joke amongst all of my friends and my family that I eat like a glorified 10 year old. (laughs) Um, So I and I've gotten much better about it lately. But chicken nuggets were just kind of my go to and I think that all of us picky eaters can unite that when you go out to dinner, the safest thing to order is chicken tenders and french fries. (laughs) Um, So that was just kind of always my go to. I've recently on a random note had to go gluten free. So now I can only have the Chick-fil-A grilled chicken nuggets. Uh. But it's been an okay substitute for now <laughs>
0: now do you have like a top secret recipe for, that, that you make at home with chicken is there something that you like to make
1: oh my gosh yeah so my mom and i actually there's a recipe on the back of the bisquick box like the bisquick pancake mix yeah. for chicken tenders and they are amazing so if you haven't tried those yet and you're a chicken tender lover then you just need to make it happen
0: okay perfect that's awesome <laughs> and then travel too tell us about traveling What what's the favorite place you've been to yet
1: Oh, yeah. So New Zealand is definitely well, New Zealand and Australia are probably my two favorite places I've ever been. That was my first time ever leaving the country. And I took a nice little 18 hour hop over to New Zealand for my first extended plane ride. But that was probably my favorite thus far. It was just an incredible, just adventurous live life to the fullest type of culture over there. And not to mention just postcard gorgeous. So that was an amazing trip. I actually have Greece, um, Santorini and Athens on the horizon in April. So I think that that will quickly replace uh, New Zealand as my number one because it's been my number one bucket list since I can even remember. So I'm pretty excited about that.
0: That's so cool. And I've, I've been to Australia a couple of times. I've never been to New Zealand, but I have some good friends that went not very long ago. And they were talking about certainly the beauty of that country, but then also the people. Apparently the people yeah. are just absolutely amazing. Really chill, kind of laid back, almost um, you know the stereotypical California type, uh, if you okay. will, but just really, really great people as well. Did you experience that?
1: Yeah, I mean, everybody was just so incredible, and we just heard some awesome stories too. And you definitely are right, they have kind of the California laid back type um, culture over there, but they also just all kind of pursue their dreams and pursue their passions without fear of failure. And we went to Oh, goodness, I'm going to forget the name of the city, but um, it's called the Adventure Capital of New Zealand. And there were just, you know, bungee jumping and like the giant swings and helicopter rides and skydiving options just like everywhere you went. And so we all promised that we would do something that scared us while we were there. So I couldn't quite get myself to jump out of a plane, but I got a tattoo with some friends instead. (laughs) Um, So that was my uh, thing that scared me while I was there. But it was just so much fun.
0: That's really cool. Okay, So now I have to ask, what is the tattoo?
1: so i got a uh, just a small compass on the back of my neck to kind of represent my love for travel and um just a memory of the trip
0: that's that's beautiful and by the way i have to recommend skydiving highly i've been a couple of times it is one of the most intense and exhilarating experiences that you'll ever have i'm i'm deathly afraid of heights um i mean to the point that and it's kind of ironic really maybe i've told this story in the podcast before but being like 50 feet off the ground on a ropes course is nerve-wracking to me it, but being in a plane at 12,000 15,000 feet it's it, as weird as it sounds, it is actually a different dynamic. Um, and there's something that makes you feel kind of probably, um, I I don't know, there's this kind of false sense of security, I guess, and having that, that instructor connected so closely to you and knowing that they're going to make the decision to push you out of the plane. You don't have to do that. (laughs) Um, but it is absolutely incredible. I cannot recommend it enough. So definitely keep that on your bucket list because it's amazing.
1: Yeah, I've heard amazing things about it. I just don't know if I'd ever have the courage to get on a plane knowing I was going to jump out of it. So we'll have to <laughs> see. We'll have to see if I can ever uh, build up my courage that much.
0: Well, you know, it's it's funny. This is what I found, and maybe different um, different uh, those who have actually had this experience have had different experiences. But um, it, it's funny how your brain is when when it's used to something, it has a hard time kind of breaking out of that pattern. So while I was riding the plane on the way up to the jump, and I noticed this really, I guess both times. I wasn't so much concerned about jumping out of the plane. Internally, mentally, I'm used to looking out the window of a plane and just flying, right? I'm not expecting to jump out. Things changed a little bit when that door came sliding open and the wind comes <laughs> blasting into the plane. Um, but it's, it's funny how you, you're almost used to the notion that, hey, I'm just flying in an airplane. You don't really have to think about it so much until you get up there. And then you see people start to fall out of the plane. <laughs> and yeah. it's a whole different conversation. But yeah, highly, highly recommended. Now, as far as travel goes, I mean, that takes a good bit of time. You're talking about going to Greece in April. And I'm sure you're doing other things this year that aren't just centered around being in the office or being in front of your computer. How do you create that free time for yourself? This is a really important topic to us here on the Boca podcast. Is there a particular tool or tip or technique or workflow that you're using to create that free time for yourself?
1: Yeah, that's such an awesome question. And I think that this is such a like multi-level question too, because I think there's so many areas of your business that this question applies to. So there's so many areas that you can change or things that you can apply to your business to make those changes and find more free time. And I actually believe that this whole concept of balance is um, just a constant work in progress. It's yes. not necessarily just a goal point that we're going to reach. And one day we're going to have balance every single day in our business. I think that um, some weeks have more hustle than others, and some weeks have more rest, and that there's kind of seasons of balance instead of just a lifestyle of balance, if that makes sense. Absolutely. So one of the or actually two of the things that I have lately implemented in my business that I found a lot of freedom in is number one is that I batch all of my tasks that I do, which is probably something people have said on the podcast before. It's kind of a popular concept. But um, when I have days where I have podcast interviews, for example, I will try to batch as many interviews and as many Skype calls into that day as I can, so that I get ready that morning, I have full makeup on, I'm ready to go for interviews. And and instead of having to do that every single day of the week, I only have to do it one day a week and I just have a full afternoon of interviews instead of scattering them across five different days. So I do the same thing with just my schedule in general. So for example, Mondays are my blogging and social media scheduling days, so I don't do any other tasks on that day except for scheduling my blogs and my social media and that way I know that that part of my business is on autopilot for the whole rest of the week. And then Tuesdays and Thursdays are my editing and my shooting days. So I will edit in the morning and then I'll shoot in the evening and then And Wednesdays and Fridays are kind of my margin days for things like interviews or course content creation um, or whatever other project I'm working on. So I just kind of batch my tasks in that way and I also batch my weeks and knowing that each day of the week has its own task and I need to batch complete everything on those days. So that's something that I have found a lot of freedom in especially recently and I also have turned on an autoresponder that's just on full time and that's not something that I used to do. I used to only turn an autoresponder on when I was out of office but now I have one turned on 24-7 and I just update it as needed but it has everything that my clients or you know photographers or business owners whoever could be emailed me, it has everything they need to know in that email. So even if I'm just out of office because I have a hair appointment one day, I know that my clients are being taken care of because they're receiving that email, they know what their next step is going to be, and they know when they can expect to hear from me because I'm updating that when I'm out of office for extended periods of time, as well as letting them know that they can expect a 24-hour response when I am in office. And that's kind of relieved a lot of pressure and a lot of stress and given me freedom and knowing that I don't have to just immediately immediately rush to my inbox to respond because they've actually already heard back from me.
0: Yeah. You know, managing expectations really does play such a massive role in relieving stress for business owners because that that expectation on our part as a photographer, as a business owner, that if that client doesn't hear back immediately, they're going to be unhappy in some form or fashion. It's going to affect my business negatively. Um, That Mm -hmm. assumption, I think a lot of times, and there may be the exception to the rule, but most of the time is really a misnomer. And as long as they have, as you were explaining, you're giving them the information that they need as much of it as possible. And then also managing their expectations as to how long it'll be before you're in touch with them. That's a massive step in the right direction. And I think that's really, really great. The other thing that you talked about too, was, was batching tasks. And I'm curious, what would you say is the biggest advantage to batching tasks versus just kind of doing things as they come to you?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I didn't use to batch all of my tasks, I would just kind of throw things on my calendar whenever my days were open. And it just made it a little easier for me to not have to think about batching when I was scheduling things like meetings that for some reason for a while, I just considered it easier to just throw it whenever my calendar was open. And Amy and Jordan Demos actually talk about this concept a lot. They are who kind of drilled this into my brain a couple of years ago. But they talk about the concept of when a plane takes off, it uses the most energy and the most fuel when it is taking off and getting into the air. But once it's in the air, it's just kind of cruising that entire time that it's in the sky. And so for me, um, the thing that's so helpful is that on days where I batch things like interviews um, or meetings or in-person client consultations, I know that that morning is actually going to be a long morning for me, especially as a girl, because I have to shower, I have to put my makeup on, I have to do my hair, I have to get dressed and be out the door. So it actually adds about an hour and a half to two hours sometimes with driving time of just getting my day started and getting to the point that I can start my work day with the meetings and with the consultations. So if I'm having to spend two hours, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday to do that, because I scattered all of my meetings to be all across my week, I'm actually losing a total of 10 hours that week that I could be in my office getting other things done. So batching tasks just makes it a little easier for me to manage my time.
0: And that's really, really good. I, I'm going to actually, uh, we'll make sure to, to link to Amy and Jordan uh, to yeah. their website in the show notes as well. But uh, they actually spoke on time management at this last United Conference. And it was really cool to hear, you know, the, the the focus on time management, the focus on relationships and how, of course, those things tie together is something that really didn't used to be a focus in our industry. And I, I remember I was speaking on workflow as much as like 10 years ago. And it was kind of the nerdy topic at that point. And most people weren't paying attention to that. And it's really come full circle. And I love that business owners are putting more of a priority on it. But this is really, really important and a great, really a major step in the right direction as far as more efficient management of our businesses, batching those tasks. We also have to keep in mind that the reality, which is that uh, as much as we might like to think that we are good multitaskers mentally, the way that we're just wired as human beings, it's actually difficult to jump from one thing to the next to the next and really give it focused attention. And so the fact that we're focusing on similar tasks in a certain time frame is really important for the sake of focus and the quality of work that we're putting out. So that's really, really good as well. Now, um, I, we're going to just kind of dive into this now as, as a, um, a topic as a whole, if you will, about your business. So you, you mentioned that you started your business when you were 16. Um, so how long have you been in business at this point?
1: Yeah, so this is me uh, going into my fifth year in business. So I am 21 now turning 22 over the summer.
0: That's really exciting and not a bad way to spend your, your 21st year going to Greece. That's <laughs> going to be a nice little bonus there. But what is, I mentioned earlier that you're a wedding and senior photographer. How would you characterize your your brand position? What sets your brand apart from other photographers in your market?
1: Yeah. So this is actually a topic that I am super passionate about and that I speak on very frequently. But when I was beginning my business so young, I was competing for, per se against a lot of photographers in my area that were in their, you know, late thirties, early forties, they were well established. They had been doing what I wanted to do for years and years and years. And I think that this is probably true of most areas, but we are in a very saturated area when it comes to the wedding industry, especially because I am right in between Richmond, Virginia and Washington, DC. So there are just tons and tons of wedding vendors scattered across the, you know, two-hour radius of where I live. So I knew very early on that I was going to have to do something to set myself apart and something that maybe even only I could do. So what I did very quickly, and I would say even from the start, is that I incorporated personal marketing very heavily into my business and I still do. So I market myself as an individual and as a person. So Hope Taylor is kind of the brand that I market, not necessarily uh, marketing myself as a photographer that provides a service. So when you look at my website, when you look at my social media accounts, hope Taylor as a person is kind of the main focus of everything that I do. And then I just kind of also happen to be a photographer that provides a service. And my hope with that is that my potential clients and um, photographers that I educate fall in love with who I am as a person. And therefore they just want to work with me because they are my ideal clients since they can just tell we're going to get along so well. So they're willing to invest in me and my business and my work, but my work isn't what I prioritize my marketing on.
0: Well I love that you are putting into practice this concept that is at least discussed in our industry which is that you know nobody can replicate you as an individual yes, and, and exactly. you're actually, you're actually playing that game which I love but just to play a little bit of devil's advocate too and I'm curious to get your thoughts on this what if a client is come is is looking for a particular type of wedding photography is there any drawback to not clearly saying, Hey, this is the type of wedding photographer I am or senior photography. This is the type of senior photography that I offer being really, really clear about the, the specificity of the service being offered or what are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, no, that's a great question. So for me, um, I don't necessarily prioritize personal marketing in a way that discounts my photography or makes it not as much of a priority. I just focus more on the experience that my clients have with me as a person versus focusing on just my works. So for example, sometimes you'll find a photographer on Instagram and you can't find what the heck they look like because they only post pictures of their work. They don't post anything about themselves or their personal life. So for me, instead of only posting about myself, It's more of a balance of 50% myself, 50% my work. So I think that my clients still have a very clear idea and vision of what kind of work I do and the experience they can expect to have from me. But I think that comes from knowing who I am as a person and getting to know me on a personal level. So on my website, my about page is, in my hope, the first page that my clients will click on. But then I also have a page for my senior clients, a page for my wedding clients, where my services are very clearly laid out. I just hope that my heart for who I am as a person, um, kind of overflows into my business and what they can expect from me.
0: That's great. Well, your energy is contagious, certainly now in conversation, but also on your website. And you guys make sure our listeners make sure that you go check out Hope's um, website. We'll link to it in the show notes, but it's just hopetaylor.com. Really simple. I love that. And, um, yeah. you'll get a good idea of what exactly Hope is talking about here. Now, um, I'm, I'm curious that uh, the, the kind of nerd in me, if you will, that the, the, the um, the gear freak um, is curious, what is in your gear bag? What What's your favorite camera body or lens or other pieces, maybe another accessory that you really, really love as a photographer? Um, what are some yeah. of your favorite pieces in your gear bag?
1: Yeah, so I have always been a Canon girl through and through. I've never worked with Nikon, so I can't really speak to Nikon, um, but I shoot with Canon. So um, my 5D Mark III is my go-to for anyone who doesn't want to make that big of an investment yet. I loved the Canon 6D. It was my backup for a really long time. My Sigma 50mm 1.4 is my current favorite lens. I just can't seem to take it off of my camera. I love it. And I right now, my camera bag of choice is my backpack, Kelly Moore backpack, and I, switched to a backpack about a year and a half ago. And ever since I switched, I don't think I'll ever be able to go back to just a normal like, you know, shoulder camera bag, because having it be on my back and out of the way, especially on wedding days has been just really, really awesome. Uh, so the Kelly Moore backpack is my go to and then I also have my um, crossbody camera strap that I love. I use a black rapid. Um, and I just absolutely adore it. It has also been another game changer as far as like keeping things out of my way when I'm shooting and working long days. Um, So those are kind of my two favorite non camera equipment pieces that I have with me.
0: That's really cool. I've actually had the opportunity to visit the Black Rapid uh, offices in Seattle. And uh, they're they're a really, really great uh, company and team up there. If you ever get a chance to visit them, definitely do. But it's an incredible accessory. And that would make a big difference probably in the comfort level of a lot of photographers out there that are having to carry those big camera bodies around. Um, you, You mentioned the Sigma lens. And I'm curious why the Sigma lens versus the Canon?
1: Yeah. So I shot with the Canon 50 millimeter 1.2 for a really, really long time. And I think that I've, well, from what I've experienced, it's a pretty common issue for it to have some issues with missing focus. And I actually sent it, I want to say at least five times over its lifespan with me, um, to be recalibrated. And it, it would work a little better for a little bit but then it tended to start missing focus again so um it just wasn't being it wasn't being as sharp and as like kind of tack focused as i wanted it to be so i tested out the 50 sigma and i actually loved it so far it's been really tack sharp it's been much more quick and efficient with its focusing i have way more shots that are actually locked in focus um than with my canon i still have both i still you know kind of switch back and forth occasionally but the sigma has actually been treating me pretty well so far
0: That's really cool. Well, that's good to know, too. So um, we'll make sure to also link to that lens in the show notes. Now, back to your business and getting started. You mentioned getting started at 16. But how were you when you decided that you wanted to be a business owner?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So I'm not sure if there was really a day where I kind of woke up and was like, wow, I want to own my own business. But um, like I mentioned earlier, my mom was an entrepreneur when I was growing up. And I, (laughs) it's actually kind of funny, I would set up up a little space in my house, like a little desk office situation, with our house phone. And nobody ever called my mom to inquire about her services. They always emailed her, but I would pretend to be her receptionist because I would just I was just dead set on helping her grow her business. <laughs> I love it. And and I thought that that's what I was doing. So I would sit there with the house phone, and her like best friend would call, and I'd be like, "Hello, baking memories. How can I help you?" And I was just completely convinced that I was going to help her grow her business. So I just loved that concept of entrepreneurship from the very start, the marketing and the business or what I'm most passionate about. So I helped her with that all through middle school, kind of into high school until she stops doing it. And then when I was a junior in high school, so when I was 16, I was working a part-time job at a retail store here. I actually worked at Chick-fil-A first, which kind of circles back to the chicken nugget thing. Um, <laughs> right. But I was working retail and I was making you know $8 an hour, which was fine. But I just kind of felt stuck. I just felt super unhappy. I was only allowed to work short shifts because of how old I was. And I just felt that there, there was so much more I could be doing with my, my time. So I had a camera from a while back that I had left on a shelf. I mean, it literally had a layer of dust on it at this point. And it was a little Canon Rebel T2i. Um, and I took it back off the shelf and just started doing pictures of of some friends for fun. And the first time I realized this could actually be a real life business was when one of my friend's parents gave me a check. And I think it was for like $30 or something. But I went from making $8 an hour to $30 an hour. So I kind of felt like I was nailing it. And so over that summer was when I decided I was going to kind of pursue it full time, see what I could do with it. And I quit my retail job. So I quit my retail job right as I was going into my senior year which is when I got my business license and I think that that was the moment that I was like well I have to be official now because I'm paying taxes and so this is going to be a thing and I um, spent my entire senior year I left school every day actually at 11 a.m. because I had enough credits to do school part-time and still graduate and so I left at 11 a.m. I spent that entire year just hustling and attending conferences and workshops and really building a business and a life that I was proud of and that's what ultimately led me to make the decision not to go to college or to a university because I had built my business so big that I didn't want to and at the time it you know comparatively was nothing like it is now but I just didn't want to walk away from it because I had worked so hard that you know being an 8 hour round trip from home just wasn't feasible for me anymore
0: All right. So you, you get started as a 16 year old and you said a senior too. And this is interesting. I I love the, again, the all in mentality, which is, you know what I've, I've, I put all this effort and energy into this. I'm just going to go for it. I'm, I'm leaving my retail job. I'm all in. I love that mentality. But what were the biggest challenges as a 16 year old starting a business? You mentioned the, the kind of Um, criticism that you got from the outside. Was that one of the biggest challenges? What were some of the others?
1: Yeah, so that was definitely the biggest challenge. And I know we ended up talking a lot about that earlier. But just the concept of having to so young and so early be so firm and so strong in my beliefs and in my passions was so tough, because typically at 16, you're just kind of going with the flow, you're going to prom, and you don't have to worry about such heavy decisions. And so that was definitely a tough season. And the second most complicated thing and kind of tough dynamic of being a young business owner in general, is having to gain trust and kind of Earn your place and earn the trust of your clients when you're you can barely drive a car yet. So I had to work really hard and really intentionally on gaining the trust and the credibility to have my clients trust me to photograph some of their you know most valuable memories.
0: Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. So with this though, you talk about the criticism and the earning trust. I mean, ultimately, what it, what comes to mind as as you're talking about these things is the significant role that these experiences. Lend to you as an individual and to your life over the long run um, and developing character, learning what it means to do life. And, you know, as, as much yeah. as education has its significance, at least in certain fields, it's tough not to realize. And, and I'm realizing this more and more even now, again, having a son who's in high school, how small a role. The actual education piece of school plays, and ultimately making a human being a good human being and a mm-hmm. lot of a lot of that comes from experience and the types of challenges that you 're even talking about now, you know dealing with criticism from the outside about your opinion and about your position, things that you 're pursuing, uh, having to learn to develop relationships with people that encourage trust. these are really important mm-hmm. skills to be learned, and it 's tough to do that sitting in the classroom so you, you got kind of best of both worlds, you're able to launch a business, but also have kind of a life classroom, if you will, firsthand. Yeah. Um, and I think that's really fascinating to me. These are the challenges that you're referring to. But what are the biggest rewards of starting a business at such a young age?
1: Yeah, well, I think it's funny that you bring that up because I think that one of the biggest rewards that I kind of still reap the benefits of now is that I had to learn those lessons so early on that now when I face, you know, the typical social media backlash or the nasty blog comment or the mean anonymous email, I have kind of already built a thick enough skin to know that those things don't matter and to just be able to delete them and not think twice because I had to go through that rough period through high school. And I don't think that if I had gone through that, I would be able to handle the negativity and the backlash that you get as a business owner or just as a person with you know a large following in general we deal with that type of thing very frequently and I don't know how I would handle that if I hadn't experienced what I went through in high school so I'm very grateful for that tough season because of what it allows me to or the perspective I guess that it allows me to have now but another one of the awesome benefits I guess of starting so young is that I had the ability to travel in place of having a college education and in addition to that, my college education was kind of the workshops and the conferences that I um, attended and experienced throughout the, you know, two to three years that I was building my business because I kind of let those replace my education and my college and sorority style experiences. And I met my community of friends there and I learned everything I needed to know about my business there. And it was just really neat because I was able to, at such a young age, turn around all the profit that I was making and invest it right back into my business and into my education. And I was in a financial place that I obviously wouldn't have been now as a 21, almost 22 year old with a home and with a car and um, with a ton of overhead bills. It just kind of set me up to be in a very unique position of being able to invest my money into experiences like travel and education that I wouldn't have been able to in any other season of life.
0: That's really beautiful. And you know, I, it's something that I'll, I'll say to people, I mean, if, if a photographer, a new photographer ever asks me about um, what to do as far as their education goes, do I go to, to school to study photography, do I go to school to study business, um, in business, if, if, um, an individual is set on the idea of getting a degree. A business degree is certainly much more valuable these days for a photographer because any type of, or most anyway, photography programs that that you might take at a college or a university tend to avoid the business side of things. You mm-hmm. got the best of both worlds by going to these workshops mm-hmm. because, you're, first of all, your education is kind of condensed or compressed into a shorter amount of time, which I think makes mm-hmm. a lot of sense because um, it's easy to learn a lot of what we need to know in a a relatively short amount of time these days, um, as photography business owners, but you're not only getting the photography side of things, you're also getting the business side of things. And I know that you've been to at least uh, one of Caitlin James workshops and and Mm -hmm. Caitlin, while she's an extremely talented photographer, also puts a lot of emphasis on the business side of things as well. And so you're getting the best of both worlds in that regard. And I think that's really, really great. Besides Caitlin's workshops, were there other particular workshops you attended that you'd recommend to our listeners?
1: Yes, absolutely. So um, Caitlin's was actually the first one I ever attended. Uh, my parents actually gifted me a seat to that for my first Christmas as a uh, photographer. Slash That's awesome. Owner. Um, Yeah, it was incredible. So I was still um, in my senior year when I attended that one. And it just kind of set the bar really high for me and really made me fall in love with the concept of learning from the people that were leading our industry because I just couldn't find any type of education that was even comparable. So um, Caitlin's was incredible. I attended Justin and Mary's workshop, Amy and Jordan's workshop. I learned from Jasmine Starr, Amanda Hedgepeth. I know I'm forgetting a few, but I pretty much tried to just jam pack that year and learn from any and everybody that I possibly could. When I say that I turned around 100% of the money I made, I'm not exaggerating. I really invested almost every penny back into my business through education and through equipment. And so- I learned from almost all of the, you know, quote unquote pros. And I attended the United conference. We briefly chatted about earlier was one of my favorites. And then the creative at heart conference is another one of my favorites that just really have a heart for community and allowing people to really build genuine friendships in addition to learning incredible practical business information. So, um, those were just some of my favorites, but I know I'm leaving out some amazing, amazing people. So I'll have to link some stuff below if I think of anything else.
0: For sure. Yeah. We'll make sure to put all of that information in the show notes and and give our listeners some really great resources. What would you say based on your experience and you've been a business now for 5 years, what would you say would be some of the biggest mistakes that newer photographers are making as they try to start and run a business in 2018?
1: Yeah, so I know we talked a lot about the personal marketing concept earlier, and I could probably talk about it for hours and hours, so I will um, try to contain. But I think one of the biggest mistakes that I see photographers making is that they are only sharing their work, and they're not including themselves and in their personality and their branding or in their marketing in any way at all. And that personally, for me at least, when I find a photographer whose work that I love, but I can't find out a single thing about the actual human being that I'm following or the the human being that's capturing this amazing work that I love, um, it kind of disconnects me from them because I can't relate to them or get to know them. I'm only seeing the things that they're producing. And that's just a major disconnect for me personally. So um, even though it's scary, and I obviously hear things all the time, like nobody wants to see what I look like. I hate getting in front of the camera. Nobody cares about the things that I like outside of my business. I would argue that all of those things are not true. Those are just things that we're telling ourselves because we don't want to put ourselves out there. But I would even go as far as to argue that it can actually set your business up to be more financially valuable and more successful than any other marketing tool you can use because like we mentioned, it's the only thing that you can do that will set you apart from everybody else without fail because nobody can be you and have the personality and the heart that you do. So that's easily the number one thing I would recommend is to just really start incorporating your personality and the things that you love and photos of yourself into the way that you market your business and share about your work. Another thing I think is a mistake that I made in the beginning of my business is that I didn't set intentional work hours. I just kind of worked when I felt like working. Um, and that sometimes meant that I would wake up and I would literally pick my laptop up on the, off the floor, sit it on my lap and not even brush my teeth until like 3 p.m. Um, <laughs> and that was just never a healthy you know, workflow or work process. Right. And so for me now, I have very intentional work hours that I wish that someone had told me to set from the beginning that you know, I start my work days at nine, AM and I try to be out of the office by 4 p.m. if not earlier, if I have something else scheduled. And my autoresponder is on that whole time. It clearly states my work hours. I'm setting the expectation of when my clients can expect to hear from me. And it just allows me to live a free life and a fuller life of knowing that I work a normal job like a normal person. My life is not dictated by my job and I don't have to wake up and immediately answer emails and immediately post on social media in order for my business to be successful. I love that. Yeah and then the last thing I see um, is people not having a streamlined process um, for their workflows and their client experience. This is another thing I wished that I had learned early on is that streamlining your whole client experience either either with you know a CRM or a business management software or just with paper and pencil of knowing every single step that your clients are going to have in their experience with you, that just prevents so much you know, miscommunication and stress on the back end. Um, and it also creates an amazing and consistent client ex- experience, which then results in amazing word of mouth referrals from your clients because they're all experiencing the same amazing things that your business has to offer. Um, so I highly recommend just really streamlining your client experience from the st- from the moment that they inquire all the way through a gallery delivery, what kind of gifts you're going to deliver to them, what areas you're going to under promise and over deliver, um, where you're going to have touch points of contact, when the emails are sent, when you need to follow up, um, all of those things, just creating streamlined processes for that will just help so much in the long run, especially with, you know, stress and time management on the back end.
0: Do you have a particular CRN that you're using currently that you would recommend?
1: Yes, I use HoneyBook. I absolutely love it. HoneyBook and Rising Tide Society actually are both kind of the same business now and I just love and support them so, so much. And I highly, highly recommend HoneyBook. I actually have a 50% off coupon that I can provide all of your listeners too.
0: Oh, that would be awesome. Wait, we yeah. go ahead and share that now and then we'll also put that in the show notes as well.
1: Yeah actually it's a direct um it's a bitly link and so okay. I'll have to link it below but Perfect. it'll get you 50% off of your first year with them which is amazing because they're just absolutely incredible. Oh
0: that's huge. Yeah. We'll make sure certainly to link to that in the show notes. Now it is kind of a segue to what you were just talking about then these are things that photographers maybe need to kind of perk up and pay a little bit more attention to. What are two big ideas uh, and maybe maybe this ties in with some of the things that you were saying, but what are two big ideas that, that photographers, new photographers in particular, should keep in mind as they do start a photography business in 2018?
1: Yeah. So um, I think definitely the two concepts that I've been talking about, which would be personal marketing and then kind of streamlining your client experience, would be the major ideas that I want people to keep in mind. So some practical ways to start incorporating that into 2018. Um, on the personal marketing side, what I... I always have my workshop attendees and my coaching students do is brainstorm three to five quote unquote connection points um, that have to do with you and your personality and don't have anything to do with your business, but that you could start incorporating into your marketing. So chicken nuggets is one of mine. That's one of the first things that people (laughs) think of when they think of me that has nothing to do with my business, but it creates personal connection. And it's just kind of a quirky, fun thing that people think about now when they think about my business. So think about just three to five things in your personal life that you absolutely love or that you do regularly outside of your business. For example, maybe you participate in a sport or you do yoga or you have dogs or children or you're a pet lover. All of these different things have nothing to do with your work, but I can't emphasize enough how much personal connection that creates that one sets you apart from other photographers and two adds value because you're attracting ideal clients that can relate to those aspects of your personal life. And they're actually willing to pay more for you because of that personal connection.
0: That's interesting. When when you, I mean, this is a this is a concept, a principle, an idea that is shared a decent amount in the industry now, or at least you see it here and there, um, mm-hmm. especially on some among some of the names that, that we've mentioned today. But do you find that when the clients go to book you, that they're actually bringing up some of these talking points?
1: Yes, actually, um, one of the like points or the stories that I share the most often when comes to this topic is that I had a couple that I absolutely adored, but it was a couple that, you know, you shoot their wedding and you're they're kind of quiet. You don't really have a ton to talk about. So you can't really tell if they loved you a ton. Um, like I knew they loved my work, but you couldn't really tell if we hit it off and we got along really well. So it was kind of that way through the whole experience. They were just really quiet. We didn't have a ton to chat about. And then I had an awesome time when their wedding day, but kind of left feeling the same way. I was like, I don't really know if they like me. Like maybe they think my bubbliness is super annoying. I don't really, <laughs> I don't really know what it is. <laughs> the next day, actually, the next morning, I woke up to an email in my inbox. They had just landed in Italy for their honeymoon, and there were sprinkled donuts, which is another one of my connection points that I share about is my love for, for sprinkled donuts. There were sprinkled donuts in the lobby of their Italian hotel on their honeymoon, and they sent me a photo on the first day of their honeymoon no of the sprinkled donuts um, to tell me that it made me, they made them think of me on the first day of their honeymoon. And I actually like screenshot that email, and I share it all the time because it's such a Random thing that this couple is on the first day of their honeymoon thinking of me in Italy to the point that they took a photo to send an email. But it's also just amazing marketing if you can be front of mind in your client's thought process for such a random thing like donuts. Then you're doing something right when it comes to your marketing. And so I get emails all the time that start off with, "Oh my gosh, reading your website made me want to go through the Chick Fil A drive through today, so I grabbed a meal on the way to work." Or, "How's your new home? I absolutely love the color of the front door." So many random things about, you know, myself that don't have anything to do with my business, but my clients connect that. And if they're looking at 15 photographers and they have 15 different tabs pulled up of photographers, they're looking through and every single one lists their credentials and all of the places that they were published and how they had a camera in their hand since they were born. Those are all amazing things. But if my website says that I love chicken nuggets and she's obsessed with Chick-fil-A too, I stand out by default and she's going to email me first.
0: (laughs) I love that. You know, this actually reminds me of uh, a book that I'm currently going through. It's by Joshua for F-O-E-R, called Moonwalking with Einstein. And it's a book about memory, ultimately. This is a guy who um, was totally disconnected from the comp- competitive memory world. I don't know if you realize there was something out there like that. I didn't really know much about it either. Um, but through the form of a story, he shares his experience getting into this competitive memory uh, competition in, uh, environment and mm-hmm. how he went about that process and how he learned various tips, tricks, techniques um, on how to improve his memory. But one of the things that he spoke to, and this your, your story is making me think of this, um, is the significant role that painting a really distinct picture in someone's mind or in your own mind, for that matter, if you're trying to remember something, how significant a role that plays. And Mm -hmm. you know, when you when you're describing something like sprinkled donuts on a photography website, that naturally is going to stand out, it's not something that they're expecting. Um, In Mm -hmm. fact, it's a bit unusual. And so you're leaving an image imprinted on their mind that will likely stand out. And obviously it did. And and I would assume too that it's not just mentioned in one place. You're you're doing this consistently as as one way to represent your brand. And so they're reminded okay. of this unusual image. They probably create some image in their mind, maybe of some donut that they had when they were growing up or whatever the case they may, may be. They've made some association. And then, like you said, so surprising, so random yet so cool that they thought of you on the first day of their honeymoon enough to, to send you that picture. I think that's really, really interesting. Thank you. I think but I th- I think this is a really wonderful example though too for all of us, myself included, when we're Working on developing a business brand, um, or continuing to develop a business brand, that we make sure that we put a little bit of extra effort into creating a memorable, leaving a memorable image in the mind of that potential client. And this is one of the ways that that um, our photographers can do that. So this is really wonderful advice. I know that you can go into a lot of this stuff in in a. much deeper level. And so what we're going to do is, of course, as I mentioned, Mm -hmm. link to your website um, in our show notes, because I know that you have resources and you've mentioned multiple times that you're teaching, and I'm sure they can find out more information about uh, upcoming workshops that you're going to be speaking at uh, there in your website. And Mm -hmm. um, we'll we'll link to all those resources on your website. Uh, We mentioned your website already, hopetaylor.com. Where else can they find you online?
1: Yeah. So um, you can find me on Facebook, uh, backslash Hope Taylor Photo, but Instagram is where I'm most active. Um, so it's at Hope Taylor Photography. And I also just um, am moving into my first home. So you can follow at home with hope if you want to see like the fun behind the scenes of the decor and things like that. Um, and my blog, hope blog.com is where you can find a ton of educational resources, free content, free ebooks, and all of that type of stuff if you would like to learn more about any of the topics we talked about today.
0: That's perfect. You know what? I'm, I'm going to close our, our conversation here with one more question. This is more a personal question for me than, than anything else, because I'm, I'm extremely curious. You're 21 years old. You've got a really interesting perspective, having already run a business for an extended period of time, but also being extremely young. Is there something that that comes to mind? If I were to ask you, what is, uh, what is a particular behavior that dates Older photographers. And when I say older photographers, I'm, I'm 38, but I would consider myself mm-hmm. an older photographer, somebody that's been in the industry for about 18 years or so. Uh, is, there, is there a particular behavior, whether it's in marketing or business or even photographic style that tends to date photographers who've been in the industry for a little while that might be disadvantageous to their business? Is there something that comes to mind?
1: Oh, wow. That's such an interesting question. Um, For me, so one of the things that I don't think would apply to you, but applied to some of the more seasoned photographers in my area, is that they were very protective over their information and over their businesses in the way that community over competition wasn't really something that existed or a concept that they agreed with. They were very much um, like you had to sign a non disclosure and a non compete, and you couldn't come to their workshops if you lived within a certain amount of mileage. And I don't think that there's anything wrong with that, but I think think that that kind of shows how long you've been in the industry since now there's this whole community over competition movement of, you know, encouraging and supporting and being together and really loving each other. Um, that didn't exist in the industry when they were beginning. So I think that that's one thing that I notice very frequently. And the second thing, I hate to keep bringing this up, but I think it circles back to personal marketing too, is I see a lot of the more seasoned photographers not being open to the concept of posting photos of themselves or talking about themselves because their comfort zone is to share only about the work that they do. Um, So that's another thing that I see pretty consistently with the more seasoned photographers in the industry is, that the concept of posting images of themselves, just that alone is terrifying to them um, because they don't want to be in front of the camera. Their comfort zone is to be behind it. So I think that those would be the two major things that I've noticed in my personal life, at least, that would kind of give me the idea that maybe they've been in the industry a lot longer than I have.
0: That's really good. And, and again, I welcome that perspective. I think it's good for myself and, and those listening in that may have been in the industry for a little while. You know, I mean, ultimately, to, to your first point, relationships. That's, that's where it's all at. I mean, I stress this a lot, both on my personal um, social media accounts, and it's something that we certainly push with photographers edit it. And of course, the book Podcast as well, the importance mm-hmm. of relationships, because at the end of the day, that's what that's what we have, at least I, I hope that we all have. And if we're not putting effort and energy into developing relationships and developing a network Um, then we're going to miss out on all different levels. So that's really important reminder as well. And then, you know, at at the end of the day, as much as it's easy to kind of tout our accomplishments, you you alluded to this earlier, and some photographers' bios on their websites, you'll find this. You know, I went to this school, I studied this thing, I have this accomplishment, I have this degree, I've won these Mm -hmm. awards. It's very, I mean, I can't remember ever hearing from any potential client. I shot weddings for about 10, 11 years or so and worked with a range of clients, you know, from $350 to to $10,000 and more, um, that ever questioned whether or not I had um, a a medal of some kind or a photography Mm -hmm. award of some kind. 99% of our clients don't care about that stuff. They do want to connect with us. And Um, It's really important to understand that in order to create a unique experience, and this is something I've mentioned on the Boca podcast uh, a little bit more as of late, but the art industry, a professional photographer industry, photography industry is going to continue. Those lines between the professional side of things and the consumer or the prosumer side of things is going to continue to blur as technology continues to get better and makes it easier for more and more people to take a decent picture. And what is ultimately Mm -hmm. going to set us apart is not some award which represents, you know, taking a decent picture, which now so many more people can do it's going to be our personality that actually will set us apart. And um, I think that's, it's really great that that has been a theme in our conversation today. And I, I really appreciate you focusing on that. I think it's a good reminder for all of us. This, is, this has been really wonderful, Hope. I, I really can't thank you enough for your time, for making time, for sharing with the Book of Podcast listeners. We'll make sure to link to all uh, these resources in the show notes. And do, do you want to leave us with any closing words or thoughts?
1: Well, I just wanted to say thank you so much for having me. I am just so honored and so thankful when I got your email. I've been looking forward to this for weeks now. Um, so thank you so much for letting me join. I am really honored that I was able to offer kind of the unique, you know, 21-year-old perspective on some of these topics. And um, I hope that it was helpful to your listeners. I'm super excited to have been here.
0: Absolutely. It's been a privilege. Thank you. Thank you. dot com.